0: I'm calling you because they're not going to let me have any more time with him. You're not going to be able to, to be allowed to see him. Um, I want to tell you what he looks like right now because this is my last moments with him. They're going to take him from me. Hey,
1: everybody, and. Thanks for joining us on another episode of God Is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. I'm your host Grant Pemberton, and on today's episode, we have another special guest for you, Ken. Welcome. I know you're back in country. Uh, why don't you? Um, which, by the way, we'll get to at some point on a podcast. I'd love to debrief on. I mean, I think you've been out of the country the past, uh, you know, six trips or something like that. So we've got a lot of debriefing episodes we'll be doing uh, for your holiday season coming up. But for now. You are back at country. And uh, why don't you uh, introduce our next guest for us?
2: Yeah, today I've got my friend uh, Rip Walberg. He and I have known each other for more or less 10 or 11 years. Um, I was referred to him and he was referred to me uh, by a mutual friend during the Australian outpouring. And I'd been at that friend's church. Um, and he thought that he said, I've got a friend who has a lot of questions. (laughs) And uh, I remember the first time I met Rip, it wasn't in person. I was driving from Los Angeles to Phoenix, Arizona. And for those who don't know that drive, it's about a six hour drive. I called Rip just as I was uh, pulling out of my driveway. And we ended the call as I pulled into my friend's driveway in Phoenix, which is to say it was six hours of continuous talking. I think we might've dropped once or twice, but we reestablish the connection. And so yeah, he did have a lot of questions. <laughs> but anyway, that's how I got to know Rip. Uh, we have traveled together. Um, he came with me on an Australian trip somewhere back during that era. Um, I uh, Rip is a former pastor, among other things. And uh, at one time, actually more than one time, over several times, I came and spoke in his uh, congregation in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um Today, I think he builds himself as a father, a grandfather, a student, um, an author, a raconteur. Um, not a tour that's someone who runs a restaurant. But anyway, he's, um, he, he's also, um, he runs a business. And so uh, there's a lot of things about Rip that make him very relatable and down to earth. And so Rip, welcome to the show. It's great to have you.
0: Thank you so much. It's really good to be here. I was thinking about that the other day and I was like, Ken's going to mention the time we talked on the drive. You're very gracious with your time. <laughs> <laughs> but what else? Is I had like a lot a of different questions different back then. <laughs> yeah, a lot, at the start of a lot of good fun phone calls. I've yeah, appreciated exactly. it always. Yeah, yeah.
2: So, Rip, I always ask this question from from anybody who comes on our podcast because our listeners like to know who am I mm-hmm. listening to? Who is this person? Tell us a little bit about you and your spiritual journey. We'll get to the other reasons um in a bit but but just give us some background on you and um how you came to faith your walk with Christ what called you to the ministry when you were in the ministry etc okay
0: so yeah I um I'm 50 I'm 52 and I can remember being four years old and walking into my parents' bedroom in the morning for some reason and just crawling up on their bed and saying mom I want to accept Jesus and right then and there, just four years old come into my life. And, uh, you know, so I can't say that it was special. Like as a four-year-old, you have no awareness of any of those things, but I've always grown up in the church, always grown up in faith, had, um, and blessed to have a family heritage of faith. And, um, I have always loved Jesus and I've always loved his word. And I've pretty much wanted to delve the depths of his word as much as I could from as long as I can remember. It seemed to come easy to me, the different understandings and to talk theology and so forth. It seemed to come relatively easy. Um, something I gravitated toward. And so when I was 15, I kind of realized, Oh, I think I want to go into ministry. But so I pursued that. And when I got out of high school, though, got just distracted by you know, life and pursuit of the needs of living and, and providing and so forth. Um, but always served in the church. And so was mentored in new Haven vineyard for many years We came down here in 2006, uh, and shortly after that, it became clear that God was going to—he was doing something with the church. And um, about a year into living here, the planting pastor approached us about taking the church over, and so we um, we took the church over. Um, We had, you know, the all this incident with Aiden, um, there's kind of a there's a connecting story there um, and so for about 11 years I, I was the lead pastor of the Vineyard Church here locally um, and then after COVID among other things kind of did it in and and um, presently I'd say we are in between assignments let's say That's but, a good way. yeah in between assignments is honestly what I say and Um, But I still, like, I just go, it's worth it to me to continue pursuing studies. And so I've found kind of a a love of biblical theology and um, renewal. And uh, I want to keep pursuing that frame of of communicating God's book and God's story. So, and I find a lot of joy in it. Yeah.
2: That's, That's a nice way of putting it. Um, pursuing God's book, God's story, and communicating it. I like that. <laughs> all right, so um, you made allusion just a moment ago to um, your son, Aiden. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the story, but share with our listeners what happened uh, to you, your wife, and all of your family, really, because when something as catastrophic as happened to Aiden occurs, the entire family is affected.
0: Yeah, so on June sixth, two thousand eight. Wait, June seventh, six, seven, eight. Um, uh, on June seventh, two thousand eight, I was working. Anne Marie had taken. I was working in our garage. Anne Marie had taken the kids back up to Connecticut, where we're from, and I get a call from her. um and it's one of those, like, you know, when you, it's not to be rude to your spouse, but you're like, I might not take this call at the moment kind of thing. And because of what's going on. So I took the call, stepped outside the garage and was immediately rip, come to Connecticut right now, and just drowned. And just like that, everything that I had ever known just shifted. Uh, I, you know, your mind starts racing. You can't process everything at once. And yet you're like so many questions, this, that, how did it happen? What's going on? So she's trying to fill me in a little bit, but she just said, they're working on him now. Get here. I have to go. And so I walked back into the garage, took my tool belt off. My father-in-law and a close friend of mine were with us. We're working there inside the garage for the day i dropped my tool belt on the floor and i fell on the floor and just like screamed no just everything in me just kind of like coming out um i didn't speak to them went upstairs i i can't remember now if i changed my shirt or changed my shorts i only changed one part one thing grabbed keys my wallet I was up there too. I I think I screamed again, walked downstairs. And I said, um, I have to go to Connecticut right now and just drown. I was gone in about three minutes from that phone call. I was on the road and in, I stopped and got gas and the Lord said, don't worry about any of this. Just get there. Just take care of your family. You're never going to pay a dime for anything. And I don't mean to make that about money. It's just the encounter that I had with the goodness of God. Right. He saw our need and he's the one that promised to provide. Right. And so it was, I was met with his faithfulness. And it was that kind of talk that you know it's him communicating, even though it's not the audible thing. Yeah, But it was in, it was, um, uh, you couldn't argue that it was not God. And so I drove for four and a half hours, only 15 minutes of, from my home here in Pennsylvania back to where we lived in Connecticut. I only had 15 minutes of um, time alone to myself. The rest of that entire drive was taking phone calls back and forth from friends, family, what's going on, what's up, talking to Anne Marie. um, And, and I describe it because this is what it was. It was like, you're crying the whole time. So forcefully that you can't see driving. It's like when you've driven in, um, the, you ever driven in a bad rainstorm mm-hmm. and it's just a sheet over the windshield and you can't see, like you should pull over. Right. That's what my eyes were like, trying to concentrate on driving and having phone calls, um, about what was going on. And the, anne gave me one of the most amazing gifts in such a horrible situation. I called her once. I said, "What's up?" She said, "Nothing yet. I'm following the ambulance. Um, we're on the way to the hospital." Like having lived there, I knew where they were, what's where they're going, and all of that stuff. She said, "I'll call you back." She calls me back, maybe a half an hour or an hour later, and she said, "Rip, I'm I I, I have to tell you." Uh, I'm calling you because they're not going to let me have any more time with him. You're not going to be able to, to be allowed to see him. Um, I want to tell you what he looks like right now, because this is my last moments with him. They're going to take him from me before rigor mortis and all that stuff sets in. There's nothing else they can do for him. He's gone. He had a little um, necklace that's still like was on him his his hair was still wet from being in the pool and the jacuzzi that he drowned in um and she just said i'm i'm holding him he's his eyes are closed he looks like he's sleeping and he's pink and he's perfect and he's just beautiful and i was just Uh, you know like like this but much 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 worse yeah yeah and i say it was a gift because she you know we were both just just sobbing on the phone and yet to me it was a gift and she shared that because i never saw him again actually i still know when i saw him the last time it was in the back of the suburban looking out the window away from me and I was like saying goodbye to all five of my kids while they drove off to go to Connecticut a couple days earlier than this. And I can still, still remember that, but I never saw him alive after that moment personally. The next time I saw him was in a coffin a week later. So I got to Connecticut and yeah, I can look back at it now and say God's grace was just being poured out everywhere on that drive on that on the time I pulled in, you know, the kids come running to me and and we have um uh you know, dad, what are we going to do? We embrace and Marie's just you know, she's about to come unglued understandably and the worst thing for her is that in essence she battled this happened on her watch yeah and you know i'm sure she was thinking what's rip going to think and so forth um and you know our my my friend whose house it happened at he didn't even want to face me because he felt kind of the same responsibility and so i went and found him after i was talking to my family and hugging them and making sure that they knew we were going to be okay and I went and found Steve and um he shared with me his thoughts and I said Steve you owe me nothing we're good and they are actually friends this year was the 15th anniversary they joined us on Aiden's anniversary this year and we are still that tight which mm-hmm. is a huge blessing um that I feel and it's the it's that goodness of God that is just represented there, not because of something I did, but because God's just capable of that. Right. And it's really cool. It's beautiful to me. So that's kind of the initial, that's how the book starts. So, yeah, that was going to be my
2: next, uh, my next (laughs) question. So you've recently written a book, um, Uh this family tragedy. Um, tell us about the book. Um, tell us, how you chose to tell the story and maybe a little bit about how the book is structured.
0: Yeah. Um, So from the time that from Aiden's funeral, which was a week later, obviously, I gave a eulogy at his funeral and it seemed to really impact people. And it was something that was not, let's have a celebration of life. It was, this is raw, and this is real. And we're not jumping ahead to the happy, clappy stuff. We're, we're going to feel this whole thing. And in the midst of it, we're going to still honor God as best we can. And so something of that really resonated. And I just thought, well, someday I want to write, a. I think I want to write about this. And it just stayed there with me for a long, long time. I never felt ready to until we were about nine, nine plus years in, because what I found was people write their grief books and they write, they're, they're very good. They're very helpful, but they're sort of, I I always found a consistency to them. And I felt like that's been done. I don't need to speak into the same space. So what's, what's something else I can do? So I started asking God, show me what it was. And Ken, I'll tell you, it was, um, th- there was aspects of what I would learn from you while we were doing ministry that I began to kind of formulate like, oh, this this fits, this this all ties together. And, and so as I began to um, just ruminate on that for a couple of years, And then finally, God started really laying it heavy on my heart. And I'm like, okay, it's time to start writing. But Lord, I don't know how to put all this together. Like, what do I want to say? I know I want to say that we need to address, like, we need to not hide the pain. We need to not embrace it, but we need to address it. And I knew I wanted to say that. And I was like, well, Lord, how? So slowly he kind of gave me the framework and so the the book is written in three parts the first part is the whole story up through the very first year the very first anniversary the second part is like what i would kind of call a theology of pain i i go into and i t- on, on the first part i talk about here's here's how the whole thing went down here's the um what the different things you face are like in grief for us, the anniversaries, the, the seasons of, of pain and so forth. I went through, um, and then you move into the second part of the book and it's things I've learned along the way about, you know, God doesn't actually ask us to go fast through our pain, but we prolong all of our grief and all the issues of our life by avoiding it. And I note how Jesus asked God, is there any way to avoid this? And the father's silence was the answer. And so instead Jesus went straight through the pain of the cross and death um, and, and so I just I note things like that and and I also identify in the second part ways that we we inebriate the pains of our of our life. So I take it from here's my pain, to a broader discussion of pain in general. We all have it. Now, what do we do with it? And what do we tend to do with it? So we inebriate it, whether it's with substance or whether it's with busyness or whether it's with preoccupations, or we even find things that let's do good. But, and and it looks like, wow, what a redemptive thing. But inside at times, we're still dying on the inside. So we presented something on the outside, but inside we're still rotting and dying, let's say. Maybe rotting is too weird of a word, but that pain is still destroying us. And so I make the point of my book is to make the case that instead of avoiding the pains, there's hope to survive and thrive if we'll let God touch our wounds. And I share a story of being at a pastor's conference in section two. I share a story of being at a pastor's conference, really powerful encounter about three years later. And I was saying, Lord, did you see what I did for you? Like, did you see from the time of the funeral till now? I never, I never ran away from you. I stayed, I stood up on the line and never walked away. Did you see me? And if you, like, have you ever almost been blown out of a chair, like you would fall out of a chair? It's hard, hard, hard to do. At that moment, he said, I saw you. I saw what you've done. And I'm so proud of you. Mm -hmm. And when people say waves of liquid love, this is a reality if you've never had it. And it just began to come over me, the father's love, and it began to wash over me so deeply that I almost, I was sitting by then and I almost fell out of the chair. Um, not, well, just from, couldn't control myself anymore. Right. And then he said, and then he said, I saw what you did. Now, will you let me touch your wound? And I was blown away by that question. I did, I barely knew what to even answer, except, well, yeah, you can, because I've never shielded any of this from you, but I don't even know what that means for you to do that. And so he just, he was quiet after that. I, I didn't hear anything after that, but um, I always made it a point to go there with him and to have the moments to let these things well up in us, well, in me. Um, and then the third section of the book goes through not just where I am, but here are stories from other people that I've ministered to, and I've taken this approach, you know, you let's walk through the pain like I know there's some pretty there, at least if it was, I don't know how popular it is now, but it was at a time, there's some inner healing deliverance ministries out there. And when I've studied them, they seemed to explicitly say we do not really like memory work. And I find the opposite that I think memory work is extremely valuable. If we're going to let God touch the pain and kind of get through it. And so I share some stories that people have testified themselves about, here's where I was hung up, here's what we did, here's how God healed that, and here's where I am as a result. And I also find, I find that we often accuse God of being silent when we're in our worst state. And I found that the other thing that I've learned is do not speak the, one of the worst things we can do is what I call speaking truth to people's pain. And I take time in the book about that to describe what that is. Go through Proverbs 20, I think it's 25, 20, um, and so forth. And when we talk about Job in the conversation with his friends, all they did was speak truth to Job's pain. And Job kept getting more upset with them and more upset with them. And God was not pleased with Job's friends either, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> for other re- for reasons, including how they treated him. That's right. <laughs> and so I talk about that. And um, so God's often, we think God's silent. But what he's doing is he's being kind enough to let us have the moment. And I share one of the testimonies uh, in the book is this lady who she, she just had it out with God. For a whole day and she's like and God was silent the whole day and then he spoke and I said when did he speak when I was doing some ministry with her and she says when I was when I had exhausted all of my grief then he spoke and he spoke one of those I don't remember it's in the book but it's like one of those like I've always seen you I've never taken my eyes off you You always matter to me, and I'm always going to take care of you, kind of a thing. And I said, did you see how that pattern worked? God was quiet, but it didn't mean he was—it didn't mean he didn't care. He was kind enough to let you have it. Then—and I have pictures in the book about how this stuff works like an idol over the cross and the light of the truth of God— that these things lie to us, such as that. And as we as we are allowed to purge that pain, it the 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 idol slowly basically comes down. And we, you know, Ken, how much ministry have you done? Grant, you've probably done a lot of the same. And when that idolatry comes down in the soul, the light of God's truth immediately starts penetrating the, the person. And all of a sudden we can hear God where we couldn't before because the, uh, what I refer to as the idols of our pain are standing in the way and filtering. And so I have illustrations in the book that demonstrate that and kind of like give, yeah, just give an illustration to what the dynamic I'm trying to describe. And so then the third section is testimony. It's um, then a like speaks of where are we my family now currently on the like what do we do about Aiden's anniversary what do we do about um Mother's Day how am I handling Father's Day because for me Father's Day was the day after we buried my son so we buried him and the next day was Father's Day and that was continual for me i'm i'm much better about it now but it still is always kind of a thing you know um but there were the first couple days of father's Day. anyway i'm getting distracted so i give an update of where we're at and then i i also want i opened it up to each of my kids and Anne marie wrote their own testimony to aiden in his memory um which i just thought was beautiful course I'm a proud dad about that but and then I give a short introduction or a short here's where each of our kids are at our family is here we're we're all moving through this still but we've not been hung up where we're not advancing in life and I do find that when people don't allow for addressing their pain they often get stuck in that and they kind of get stuck there and so Um, What I've tried to do with the book is open myself up to share my story in order that people, if they've been avoiding their own pain for whatever number of years, might be compelled and drawn to trust God to address their own. And that's what I hope will come from the book.
2: I think that's a very important point because um, most of us are experts at pain avoidance. And when we talk about letting God touch our pain, um, I think most people understand intuitively that touching anything that's painful is more painful. And when we talk about God, on the one hand, we're supposed to trust Him, we're supposed to love Him. And on the other hand, we have this pain point and we're most of the time a little bit uncertain about what's this really going to feel like what's this really going to mean and we don't actually know i don't think the depths of god's love until we go through some kind of extreme difficulty hardship tragedy the catholics are famous for saying that god uh, perfects us through suffering and i'm not sure i like where that leads us but but there is some truth in that we learn something more about God and his kindness in the midst of difficulty.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I make, I observed this in my own life and I write about it in the book that pain is never permanent unless we avoid it. And it's something I, I never really realized until I was walking through all this, that it feels permanent. And that's the lie it does feel permanent, but what's happening is we're probably the ones that are protecting it and not letting God into it. So the truth is that pain is never permanent, but we do end up having to, I hate to say this for the theology of it, but we have to do the work of at least letting God in. Right. Genuinely, right? Not just, well, you know, I said I would, like, but... So for me, I would I would sit and I would I would loop his photos on my computer screen. Just set it on a loop, and I would wait until the volcano erupted. I would just sit there and look at it. This was my like the counselor we had early early on said, "I encourage you to go to the pain." Anne Marie said, "What are you nuts?" And I'm like, that makes sense to me. So we, of course, you know us, Ken. We had two separate, you know, angles of this approach. and, um, and so I would go to it. And what I noticed was I thought the tears of the erupting tears would last forever and overwhelm me. And I found that the most intense tears, would last for probably two and a half minutes. Think about that. On this subject, what people call the worst thing that you could ever go through in life, the worst tears for me would last in segments for two and a half minutes intensely. And then I had nothing left to be able to do, so I would just let that ride. Then it would build... And at some point I would let it, I would give it an, an, an outlet. Like I can remember one time coming home from work and I got caught in this anxiety attack right then just for no good reason. And I, um, I said, Lord, not now. I'll, I'll do this, but can we not do this straight now? I'm in the middle of work and it subsided and I went back and did it probably later that night or something, you know? And what I find is that if we purge these things, the intensity of them and they last shorter and shorter and shorter. Mm -hmm. And so healing is in this kind of a thing is not about not remembering that something happened. Healing is not of God is to no longer be triggerable and stuck in that bad word, but triggerableness. And it, there are times when certain memories, you know, we, we do that, some of the memory work and whatnot. Yes. And, and God shows us the, the God perspective of it. But for things such as this, it's not like I forget that my son died or that I ever had him. I mean, I always remember him. It's that we're not, ident, we're not stuck in it. And I don't identify the, you know, victimly about it. And I'm honest in the book and I'm honest with God. Like if God was standing right in front of me, I probably still would not say to him, thanks for that. Like I never blame him anyway, but I would never thank him for this. But I still can thank him for his, that he sustained us. And I do feel he has healed me. I will tear up at times, but I don't get taken out in the moment even by it. And it doesn't take me down where I'm in, you know, where I can't operate and function. So those are some of the things I've tried to demonstrate in the book and say, I just want to speak to God's goodness in the midst of this. It sounds as though actually
2: reviewing some of these Pictures that you had of Aiden that actually helped you um, express, and by express, I mean like you know, eliminate, get it from mm-hmm. in out here by means of tears, grieving, crying, yes. sobbing. This actually helped you uh, move beyond what you were caught in.
0: Yes. Um, the second Father's Day. I had prepped Anne-Marie. This is another example of that. The second Father's Day, I had prepped Anne-Marie and said, "I, I really can't be around. I need you to let me have the day to myself, please. She said, that's fine. Just let the kids love on you, like, for a few minutes in the morning. I get it. I went out for the whole day. I took my computer, and I found it helpful to go to Aiden's grave. And on a day like this, I went to his grave, did the same thing with the computer, just looped pictures and sat there for hours and sobbed. I fell asleep on his, on top of his grave that day. It just, because getting it out helped. It's messy. And that's one of the things like we think this has to come out neatly. Nope. Nope. I don't think God even cares that it comes out messy. How many times are we praying for people and they got snot running all over the place and whatever it's, it's messy in order to rebuild kind of renovate the house, let's say. Right. So, and I find that helpful. But there's something about allowing that
2: mess to happen that is actually therapeutic. And it it seems paradoxical, but the more you allow the mess to happen, the faster the recovery can occur.
0: I Yes, that's kind of, that has become how, when I'm doing ministry, that's the way that I focus. And like, I, again, I tell a story of someone else we were ministering to, she had never been given permission to do this. And in our training one day, I gave her the permission to do it and and she just let it all hang out to this day i actually spoke with her this was more than 7 years ago and she's like i hold to this day every ounce of that healing that i had from that moment and it changed the scenario with her father who was the culprit of stuff so um just really i so i i, I unpack a lot of that in the book yes and it helps it to get out and then each time it gets shorter and shorter if there is needs of repetition for certain things. Yeah. Usually gets less intense and less intense.
2: Well, you said it's been 15 years. I don't know that you ever fully forget. Um, my mother died. I can't even think now how long it's been, about 37 years ago, 38 years mm-hmm. ago. And uh, um, I, I. there was a a birthday of hers that I didn't remember until the next day um, a couple of years back. But every year I still think about her, uh, both on the date of her death and on the date of her birthday. So I don't think it ever fully leaves you. But I don't have those periods of weeping and sobbing and crying that used to overtake me. I found when I was in that period after her death, Um, there were some friends, but one particular couple who really helped me get through all of that. And so, um, I, I think it's important for people to know, find somebody who's safe and don't withdraw. I think it's fine what you described, you know, go spend the day alone or whatever, if that's what you need to do, but don't withdraw completely. It's when people withdraw completely that they become morose and things really turn inward, in a in a very unhealthy way.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Like not all of this did I do just on my own. Um it uh those are just some of the stories of like how I address the pain of this situation in my life, but not all of that did I address alone. Um and and it's a very it is a sticky situation of how do you deal with this because you mention it and either am I gonna am I gonna like if I talk about it with my wife, am I gonna drag her down when she's in a good situation or vice versa if um you know how do we navigate all these things but we've figured it out and and um yeah to the other point that you were saying i i also wholeheartedly agree like these different pains they're only gonna they start to have that corrosive effect when we hide them and protect them right and so i think that's where the body ministers to the body. And perhaps an example when James says, go find the elders, maybe that's by title or not, but let's assume that it's not just meaning the title of elder, but go find people that are mature and will love us and walk through these things with us. And as it says, pray for us and uh, let us. So when I'm ministering, and, and again, I feel like I learned this, Along the way, while we were doing ministry up and down the East Coast, I find that I learned it, became aware of its purpose. I would watch you do it, and then I kind of got my own language of what I was doing and why as I did things. And I make a lot of space if people are willing to play ball. Yeah. Yeah, so. I think
2: I think that's I think that's a key point that people have to play ball, but give people a lot of room uh, in their grief. People will often say things they don't really mean. They'll make bad decisions. They'll learn. They'll later regret um, yeah. and be impulsive. Um, I don't know. There's just a lot of things people do in an attempt to deal with grief and. um Well, I mean, I've known you long enough to know that, you know, you've you've done a good job coming out of this. But, you know, I'm not saying it was a linear process either. No, not quite. quite. So let tell us a little bit before we before we conclude. Tell us a little bit about how did your wife and how did your children process? You've told us about what you did. But, you know, losing Aiden, they lost your your wife lost her son as well. And your children lost their brother. And mm-hmm. I remember, you know, sitting and talking with you about the impact it had on your wider family. So give us a little bit of insight into that.
0: Yeah. So, so I would say um, they all have unique stories about this, as you would expect. Um, they they didn't quite take that kind of more direct approach right through things. Um, Anne Marie decided at first. I'll try the pregnant approach. Um, and so she's, but she has kind of come around and like, yeah, I know. I, I have to be more direct with, with some of this stuff and more intentional. Um, it's funny. She can deal with physical pain much better than I can. And I can, I find now that I can kind of process emotional pain more easily than she can. So it's this interesting dynamic we have in our marriage. But, um, but and, and Blake has as a father now, he's begun to have actually address the things of Aiden in his life. And he's just kind of mushroomed in a good way of like his walk with God, his leading his family, walking, walking in the church and with Jesus and and so forth. It's really been beautiful. Um uh Kaylee is, I think, still processing some things. Gabe is also probably in time will continue to process some things. When my mother died, I didn't process that because I didn't realize I needed to for about 20 years. And it just started mushrooming out of my life and I didn't even realize it for a little while. So I kind of expect some of this to be dealt with maybe a little down the road still, Um, And Addie has the most, I think what's the most unique. She grieves someone she never knew. And Mm. that's it. So it's a different style because she was two years old. She has no memory of her older brother. And Aiden was in her face, loving her every day. And so it's just been unique, Um, but they, they've, all taken an interest in what i've written in the book as i've gone through the journey of writing the book and so they've really been they know exactly what i'm talking about like don't avoid it go to it just figure out how to go to it you know stuff like that and so they're all working their way through it and i make no bones like oh yeah we're the i'm not ever trying to portray something that we're not we're all still through a journey but we've decided to lean into it instead of shy away from it. And each of my family are in some kind of place along that spectrum. What I'm grateful for is that all of them in their own way are not antagonistic to faith and they're all working out their young adult life while they're also figuring out their walk with Jesus. Right. And I think in light of this, it could have gone the other way very, very easily. And I'm grateful that it hasn't, that they're still walking in faith. So that's yeah, my well, best answer to that. Yeah. Amen. I'm sorry.
2: That. Just amen to that, because yeah. so many times in their anger, people walk away from God, and that's kind of the end of their, their life with God. Maybe they come back years later, but many times, unfortunately, they don't.
0: Yep. And if they do, it's with a lot of bumps and bruises that didn't need to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So
2: that's a, that's a really good thing. Um, uh, I was going to ask you one other question and just now I can't, Oh yeah. So you're, you're also studying and you are, you, you mentioned that, you know, you're sort of in a transitional period and you, you and Anne Marie are kind of waiting for the next phase or season of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you, what are you doing with your studies, and how do you see all of this intersecting that?
0: Yeah, so so um, as you know, I went back to school after quite a long time, and um, so I finished that degree um, thankfully. And along the way, I I became. I found that I liked the subject of biblical theology more than systematics. I've had all the systematics. I've had it multiple times. Um, One and two, I've had multiple times more than twice and I enjoy it, but I found that I started to become more aware of the story of God. And biblical theology, just letting the Bible speak for itself from within its language, context, culture, and so forth. And I have found that this answers to a lot of life's questions are very well sorry, to a lot of yeah, to a lot of life's questions are addressed and dealt with sufficiently with biblical theology as opposed to the gymnastics sometimes that, that systematics does. And so I just started to try to figure out how do I pursue this further? I didn't even know until after I graduated that there's a whole biblical studies side track of things, and that's what this is sort of housed in. So I'm pursuing um, a, a master's of theology in biblical languages, and that the one that I concentrate on is Hebrew. Because what I'm looking to do is take the Old Testament and help help people understand how it informs our New Testament faith. So one of the one of the great illustrations that I like to use is we talk about new creation, and you're a new creation, and you're a new creation, and new creation. Like we can take that to an extreme where some might teach, therefore you don't sin. For now, that'd be far an extreme, but it has gone on and when new creation is talked about it's really in the context of the larger story of god's word it's it's more about the creation that god is building not just me as the central focus of the story and the work and so i just find those themes that track through from the first from genesis 1 to revelation 21 like and i'm i'm trying to learn study how do those things thread all the way through so that I can teach them because I find that the story of God if we do that is almost unspeakably beautiful and I feel like I I know people that can do it but when I am seeing it and reading it for the first time I know I'm supposed to communicate these things too and I feel a sense of awe and wonder and fear because it's so beautiful i i think i will fail at the words to do it justice yet mm. and and i i'm trying to hone the skill and the ability from learning it to communicating it because we're still called to preach god's word and to communicate the gospel and the gospel is among other things it's god started building a home So he could have us as his family, and we're supposed to rule with him as his family. We screwed it up, and he's working to pull it all back together. And one day he's going to. We're in the midst of that in between. Instead of, how do you get saved, and is it prevenient grace, or is it um, subsequent this, and is it cessationist that, and continuation this, and yada, 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 yada. So,
2: just to name a few. Only somebody who's been through um, the difficult places of life, been through the narrow places, the valley of the shadow of death, if you will, can really appreciate um, the difference between that substantive, very human side of theology um, versus uh, the more wonkish theoretical aspects of it. Um, Yeah. I guess there's a room there's room at the table for everybody but um i'm with you i side with biblical theology over systematics personally
0: yeah yeah so thank you for asking though because it um kind of lights me up and gets me going yeah so i've been enjoying hebrew i finally got hebrew one and two and um you know that that's just oh man we had amazing conversations just off the language as i'm sure you know ken like it's Some of it's crazy. Like you sit there and you go, you know, there's no place in the Bible that it actually says the um, high priest had a thing tied around his ankle so that if he died in the presence of God, they could pull him out. And you go, wait, wait, what? Really? You're like, yeah, there's no place in the Bible that it says that. And you look at, you look at the language of um, praise the Lord and it's, it's Halu. Like, Yah is built right into it, but Halu, Yah, God's the central focus of this. How much are we doing that? How much of our language is intentionally directed toward him today? I find so much more of it is slowly, slowly more about me. And we're singing about him once again, as opposed to singing to him. Yeah. You know, and that grieves me. That makes my heart sad hopefully not angry, but sad. Yeah. So it's those kind of things that I enjoy. Yeah. Mm. So, um,
2: well, we've come to the end of our time, Rip, but before we go, uh, the name of your book, you never gave it as you were describing it. So (laughs) some of our listeners might
0: actually want to buy it and read it. So what is that book called? I'd be blessed if they did. And so the book is called Shattered surviving and thriving after the worst pains of life okay,
2: and you, surviving and thriving after the worst pains of life by rip Walberg. It's, it's like mark Walberg for those who
0: follow the movies w-a-l-b-e-r-g right. and no relation that we know of of course so right okay. you can find it on amazon um you can find it on liferichpublishing.com, their website you can i believe you'll be able to find it on any other um uh you know digital book outlet um so you can look at there. best thing to do right now is search shattered and my name um because there are a number of books with the title shattered so that makes sense so it'll come up
2: i guess if they put in the full subtitle they'd find it pretty quickly but yeah eventually yeah yeah Yep. Not everybody will have jotted it down. So, yep. all right. And then if they want to connect with you, do you have a website or an email address that you give out or anything like that?
0: That's, a, oh man, we're in the process of it, but um, you can find me on discovering God pod on YouTube. Um, I will have a website up soon. Um, and you could probably message me on Facebook. It'd be the best way. All right. For the there moment.
2: you go. So, Rick Wahlberg on Facebook, everybody knows how to do that one. Well, Rick, thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing some of your story and being so honest about the difficult time uh, that you and your family went through. And also the fact that even after 15 years, you haven't fully come out of it, but you are Mm. on the pathway of recovery. And that you can still find reasons to celebrate and rejoice and praise the Lord um, in in a in a difficult time in a in a life that took a turn that nobody would ever want to have happen.
0: Yeah. So. Ken, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um this was actually my first inter podcast interview for the book. So I'm really pleased that it was with you and and uh I just love our our history and our friendship. So thank you very much.
2: Yeah my pleasure. My pleasure. Well all right uh Grant anything you want to add before we go
1: well yeah I do Wanted, I wanted to see, Rip, would you be willing to pray uh, for for our listeners? Um, I can just imagine that so many people that are listening here have dealt with, I mean, we've all dealt with grief, but in particular, just, you know, acute pain and grief. And I was worried if you wouldn't mind just extending a prayer um, mm-hmm. for them. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Yeah,
0: let's do that. Jesus, um, we just say that you are Lord and you— our Lord over our lives, you are Lord even over death, and you're Lord over all of our pains, our griefs, our sorrows. You paid for them all, you own them all, you've won them all, and you've won the right to heal them. And so Lord, I just pray right now that that people would be compelled to no longer shield their pains from you, but take a risk and, and just allow you allow themselves to be vulnerable with you so that you can touch their pain and heal them and that they would encounter your love, your kindness, your gentleness, and your compassion over them. May it be done, Lord, to your glory. In Jesus name we pray.
1: Amen. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rep. Thank you, Ken. Uh, for joining us. Go buy both of these fellows books uh, if you're listening. Uh, they sound uh, amazing. And thank you all for uh, for listening. We'll be right back here uh, same time next week with another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. Giving Tuesday is right around the corner. If you are blessed by the content on this podcast, please pay it forward and click on the donation link in the description of this episode. To support Ken directly, you can select the Ken Fish Support Fund in the dropdown. or if you would like to give to support the rest of the team, select the General Fund. Thank you so much for your consideration. We are deeply grateful to all of our financial partners.